Hey everyone, this is Jesse, George, and Robert, and this is BitBytes, an analytical discussion about gaming. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome. Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> you came back for part two. We're so glad you're here. And we came back for part two. We all made it. We did. We did. So last time we talked how games are made, what happens behind the scenes with how money gets handled, how game studios look different and how they do things differently and how that results in different end products. And I think we wanted to emphasize this time how does that actually translate to having different games to play and how does it affect us as gamers? Yeah. Starting with microtransactions, because that's a trigger word. Oh, yes. <laughs> what are microtransactions, really? It's, it's a way for, right, we used to just buy our games and that was it, right? And then these timelines, production timelines, ended up squeezing down and they're trying to put out a game that a lot of times isn't totally finished when released but they're like how can we continue to make money we spent all this time on this and it's sort of not finished so uh now i'm talking more about dlc though less microtransactions but it's it's all one big it all ties together but i think a lot of studios are like well we already have all these assets we can still continue to make money off them so people are playing the game but we can you know release dlc or we can have uh, make new costumes that are you know pretty easy in the scheme of things and release those and um, have microtransactions and get a money. really strong set of armor. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. How much are you willing to pay for that extra stat boost? Um, but right. yeah, so they can have seasons of these things. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they can continue developing the game after the fact. Um, and I think some people view that as a good thing. Some people view that as a bad thing. Well, I think it's like, um, it depends. I think it's also kind of like the market of the type of game that it's like in because you can have like a MMORPG that's like with those kinds of things, but then you can also have something that's kind of newer. It's like the whole Fortnite player, Unknown Battleground, but more so Fortnite and like the different seasons that it does, which is like, it's kind of cool that they bring in new fresh stuff and they're constantly like changing it and stuff and overnight or overwatch is another one where they're constantly swapping out stuff. So that stuff is cool as long as it like, I don't know, it's like, a, it's a weird balance of, because in order to play that for, for Fortnite, you don't have to pay anything to go ahead and play it. So it's like, I think for me, it's like when it's you're paying for something already up front in order to just play the game. And then you have all this other stuff that um, it, it's weird because it's like it can potentially affect gameplay in terms of like buying better gear and stuff versus like grinding or in that sort of thing to acquire better items and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So we're talking about two different things, mm -hmm. but under the same umbrella. So. We're talking about, for example, the travesty of Hello Games, of a game that I will not mention that I did pre-order and that I was extremely disappointed in and that they have continued to dole out DLC for. And it's basically the same thing. Do you want to uh, inform our viewers in case they're, they aren't aware of what you're talking George, do you want to speak the, the evil words? Infinite Universe. Oh, oh. No, Man's Sky. no Man's Sky. Yes, there it is. No. Thank you. Yeah, I did delete that from my memory. I know about the development and initial release of that game, but how I don't I have no idea how they utilized 
uh, DLC or microtransactions. I think the big disappointment there was there was an expectation set and there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of marketing and there was a lot of omission of complete information to tease. And then upon release, it was this kind of like they set themselves up for failure on some level. And what they released was not only incomplete, it was extremely buggy. Um, it was just is kind of embarrassing. And I tried, you know, I was so hyped for it and I had put money down on the concept. So I went into it with kind of giving it as much of a chance as I could. And I was still ultimately let down. Um, they have gone back and I, th I think it's been out for several years at this point, and they mm -hmm. just released another major overhaul of DLC where it's like adding entire mechanics to the game, like, oh, you can play in third person now the entire game. You can do base building, you can, you know, there's actually a multiplayer aspect in it. So they've gone back and retroactively added a lot of the things that they had set up as an expectation originally. I guess the question is, is this paid DLC or are these patches? They are technically patches, but they are branded as DLC. Because it's a it's mm -hmm. free DLC, but it's really like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I guess when I um, reference DLC, my mind immediately defaults to paid DLC. Um, Unless you're Nintendo. Well, oh, even know, in Nintendo, you have to pay for some of their you stuff. You do, but mm -hmm. I think this is this is where a lot of the uh, hurt feelings come from with with all of these, you know, topic uh, microtransactions, DLC, these patches whether this extra paid content should have even been a part of the game in the first place. You know, we're playing paying full price for a game that was incomplete. Or is this con extra content actually extra? Um, and I think that's where we're going to, I think that's where we're always going to say, like Nintendo goes above and beyond. And I feel like their DLC is actually worth it and it's extra. I feel like I get my full game and I'm not lacking, and that extra really is I'm worth the money. So an example I want to give, because I'm a Nintendo fangirl like that, is uh, the game I've been playing the past year, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. As you guys know, uh, they released, they had an expansion pass that I think is, I believe was only 20 bucks but I feel like I'm getting an entirely new game. Actually, I am getting an entirely new game because the last season uh, they're releasing is, is a new game. <laughs> so uh, they're basically making a mini prequel. I think they're, I believe they're even selling it as like a separate mm -hmm. disc, yeah. uh, standalone retail version if you don't want the rest of the expansion pass content, which you should because you get a lot of content in that. And I, I feel like it's definitely worth the $20. Um, and I've experienced that with the Breath of the Wild DLC. I feel like I'm getting mm. more uh, content. Um, any of the uh, Mario Kart DLC. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's a, here's another track. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. It's a whole new thing. And then like reskinned Link. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that for free. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So I haven't come across a Nintendo game where I was disappointed with it um so even when they do charge you what you're getting bang for buck wise in terms of quality and quantity is like well worth the mm -hmm. the retail tag yeah i'm going to say for myself i never buy dlc in any way shape form or fa uh, fashion 
no matter like no matter like how big the expansions are except for one exception which was elder scrolls when i bought the special edition all the other expansions came with it is this a uh like a personal that was, like for me it's just like i'm gonna pay the money and i don't i really don't want to have to pay like x amount of money for you know more content i feel like the content should be there and if you want to make like a separate game or something that's cool but so it's like, on principle for you yeah kind of yeah yeah I respect so, like, that. no it's not but yes <laughs> <laughs> um i i can understand that uh because it's almost like feeding into the system like everything except nintendo like all these other triple a's are taking advantage of this and it's like oh you really expect me to pay all this money for more skins um it doesn't seem worth it and it feeds like it's it's feeding the system yeah i think it was like to like my introduction to that kind of stuff was on the 360 when like games were just starting to like push out like dlc and they wanted like six bucks for like a new costume or something like that that you could get for like one of your players or you know whatever you're playing or something like that it's just like really so it's got it's got a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth gotcha yeah so, but the one exception where you did do the season pass for Skyrim, were you disappointed? No, it's like, but again, it's like I paid the 60 bucks and I got all of the, you know, the game itself and all of the stuff that had come previously with it. And I think that's the only time that I would like really, you know, get DLC is like if I waited for a game to come out with like a special edition or something like that where it had all that kind of content. I don't mind waiting for that. Yeah. I think when done right, there are so many pros to both the company and the player. Um, like in Nintendo's case, uh, let's take Breath of the Wild. It's it had a year of hype because of the you know delayed releases on the different um, DLC content, and because it delivered, you know it didn't you didn't get negative press from that. You just had players playing your game. For a year rather than you know the month or two of the initial release um and then like i was i mentioned earlier you have all of these assets um that are just sitting there waiting to be used and i think if they're if if the production company feels like oh i'm they're sad they didn't get to fit this in because of these tight deadlines that you know a lot of times are just handed down to them um you know, this is an opportunity for them to further complete their vision. Um, but, you know, a lot of it does go wrong. You know, it's just, oh, we didn't finish the game in time. Uh, let's, uh, it, but that's okay, because people pay extra to, to complete the game. Um, and, I, yeah, I think, it, like all things, it can become soured by just pure uh, money-making schemes. Yeah. So... Um, I really haven't come across DLC outside of Nintendo that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is that's worth it. Even in my beloved um, game. You know what? No, I take that back. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, they basically <laughs> gave me the their DLC was was quite good because if you like take the whole map about they created an extra third of that and released it and like they had a whole separate story for this portion of map that was released i didn't feel like i i didn't feel like the map i originally got in the story was small or the story was lacking this was an extra um addition that 
that I, I got an extra like probably 15 to 20 hours out of this. So, um, and you know me, that logged hours mean a lot to me. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think I probably have a similar value set when it comes to feeling cheated or not on how DLC is used by developers because if I buy a game and it's a finished, polished, complete project and I play it and I feel like I got my $60 worth or whatever I paid for it, I don't feel cheated at all. I had a great time mm -hmm. and you know it was well worth my investment. Then when DLC is added to that, I'm like, F yeah, like a Horizon Zero Dawn type thing, where I think a personal example for me was New Vegas. It was like, I loved New Vegas when it came out, even though it has not aged well. It was really good at the time. It's the type of game that I love. I logged a crap ton of hours in it on Xbox, waiting for load times that are super cringy to think about now. Um, but I loved it, and it was super deep, spent tons of times in it, and then they came out with DLC that was excellent, and it wasn't map expansions like Horizon Zero Dawn, but it was additional story that was of the same caliber of the you know main storyline and side quests of that game, which is, I think that's what I value about it most. You know, it was it was definitely worth paying for, like absolutely. So, I don't know. I think it's a similar thing. It's like. I don't want DLC to be like this retroactive completion, like the whole thing with um, the latest Deus Ex. I'm like, are you for real? Oh, you're not gonna get to finish the story unless you pay us more money mm. to see the completion of Oof. it, but we already got you deep into mm -hmm. it because you played X amount of hours, probably up near 30, 40-ish. And <laughs> you know, it's like a carrot on a stick type thing. I'm like, really? That's messed up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's too like for me it's like also like how much I care about the game that I'm playing like if I'm really excited about the story of the characters and the lore and all that kind of stuff then it makes it would make more sense for me to purchase DLC but even then it's like it has to be amazing and for me for it to like for me to warrant <laughs> spending money for DLC. Yeah. Okay, so similar. Have you guys played Warframe? Yes. A little bit. Okay. Oof. Warframe is in my mind is like the worst offender of it's the rough. Yeah, I mean it's like I think it get the good thing about it is the gameplay is so repetitive, even though it is super solid, that you kinda get sick of it mm -hmm. pretty quick. Um but I, I mean it is just like such a cash grab, even in like the way that it's designed, it's so obvious. Isn't um that's a free to play right off mm -hmm. the bat, right? Yep. Yeah, so that's a very interesting model they have there. They're like just putting all of their, you know, hedging all their bets that, okay, we just need to get the players. When we get a certain amount of players, there's going to be a percentage of those players that will sink money into this. But, I mean, it seems to be working because they keep releasing more and mm -hmm. more content. Well, the thing is, too, is like the like for their packs and stuff like that, it's it's not normal or at least from what i've seen it's not normal for like other games that have like stuff where you have to buy into to get to kind of ease the grinding aspect of those games mm -hmm. is like it's you know 100 150 bucks for you know just like a character in the game <laughs> like that's ridiculous yeah it's i can understand extra content like if you put a dollar or something towards a, a skin or an 
a different outfit. I understand that, especially if you're playing like a multiplayer game that doesn't have a story. And like, that's one of the few things you can do to customize yourself a bit. But yeah, a game that revolves solely around, <laughs> you want this character, pay for it. Um, and it is cringe grindy. Because it's like the percentage, like you have to pick up items and stuff like that to progress in the game. Or they have, oh, you need this certain part for your ship. And your percentage of like actually acquiring that part on that particular level, like you have to play through it constantly in order to pick up that part. And the percentage is like so small. It's like you have to play it forever mm -hmm. before you get that part. And it's purposely designed that way so that, you know, it's like, oh, do you want this right now? Pay for it. Yeah. It's like the the mobile app game of consoles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, to me, it's a little bit of a letdown just because I actually do like that game. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the the world and the characters and the gameplay is all really cool. So I almost wish that it had been presented in a more traditional way where it's like you just pay for the full game, you get all the stuff. If you want to buy more characters and everything like that, you are welcome to do it. But I feel like I just kind of am rejecting it because of the way that the, the pricing model was set up yeah mm -mm. so yeah and I, I feel like we talked a lot about dlc more than microtransactions but um again that's a tricky situation because if you have like self-control <laughs> it's not that much of a, it's not that big of a deal like and hey if you want to spend a little bit of chunk of change um for something tiny and insignificant in the scheme of things, then that's great. But there are some people that just, it's its like an addiction. Uh, and I, I feel like they know this. <laughs> as long as they get that small percentage of like those whales. Um, and it's like, are they taking advantage? I'm gonna use it because it's the best example probably everybody knows is Battlefront 2. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it was a big deal, not only because you know, people were feeling like they were getting chipped, you know, for the experience and all that kind of stuff. And like the particular way that they had it set up to earn stuff with the microtransactions was a little shady. Um, but I think it's like, it's also an issue of like, this is a game that's kind of prefaced for kind of all ages. Mm -hmm. And so you have kids that are 13, 14, 15 years old that are essentially like rolling the dice, paying money to, you know, get something that, you know, it's just kind of like, you may get it, you may not. And to me, that's kind of like, that's a little upsetting that you're kind of teaching a younger generation to like gamble and like take chances on that kind of stuff. Yeah, but there's money to be made, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. I do think there's also a line too, like it's already bad enough, like, oh yeah, encourage the gambling, right? But if that was just with like, uh, like outfits and what's the word? Just uh, cosmetic cosmetic type. changes. I could understand that. Like you can either work your way um, and get in-game currency and work your way towards that, or if you want to pay for it right away, you know, that's your prerogative. But with Battlefront Two, they initially made it so it's not tied to just cosmetics. It's tied to uh, like skill um, and stats. And in a competitive game, <laughs> yeah. you're basically having people that pay to win. Um, and that's the problem. 
Well, I think it's too, it's like you can have, they have those things and you can acquire them through playing the game. But the yes. way that they, the model that they had set up is this is like nearly impossible to do that. So you kind of almost of have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I like games that, not that I have to grind, but like that I have to work towards leveling my character. I don't want to just pay to have it. Um, mm-hmm. And that'd be my only option. But when you have people that, you know, are paying to do that in a competitive game and not a single player. Um, Yeah, I can understand why the reactions were the way they were. Yeah, I'm with you on that. If it's like a single player RPG type thing, there's so much reward in putting in all this effort and seeing your character evolve. It's kind of an extension of you. It's like you're learning things about the world and all this, and then you master it by the time you're done. And that's, that's incredibly rewarding, especially for a longer playthrough. So a counter example, I want to see what y'all think of this. I don't know how much you know about this. Do you know about the controversy with uh, CSGO and the uh, weapon skins? Yes. No. So let me set this up. <laughs> and then we can, cool. So Valve, you know the Valve game, uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive? Mm-hmm. Yes. So first-person shooter, extremely competitive, extremely toxic, extremely everything that you can imagine. It's like the neck beardiest, most like PC. It's just like- It's they very have all the, cutthroat and intense. Yes, there it is. And it's like people cheating and finding ways to cheat without being detected. And it's like very, so, you know, because there's this chance that if you develop skill and you become really good at the game, you can compete at high levels and there's actually money to be made. So with that in mind, uh, they had implemented at some point, I don't know when this came to fruition completely, I think it might have been something that evolved over time, but they introduced the weapon skins. So this is a completely cosmetic thing. It's like, I want my pistol to have leopard print on it or some like variation of that. And then it, you know, it grows and it becomes more complex. And then it's like, certain weapon skins become associated with skill level because they're really hard to obtain. They see that and they're like, oh wow, that person's really good. And then there's some like status that's connected with it. So it's not purely cosmetic, mm-hmm. but what you're paying for technically is cosmetic. Wait, wait, so you're paying for these or you're working towards them? So you can win, there's a certain number of ones that you can win in a freebie way, mm-hmm. but the majority of the ones that are worth having in anyone mm-hmm. else's eyes are you pay for and people pay for in the hundreds of dollars for a single one. Well, how does this tell skill level versus how much money you're willing to spend on this? Because game? you have to compete at a certain level to get it's a access to buy them. Mm-hmm. It's a loot box oh, okay. thing. So yeah, you you earn okay. a key and then you have access to like a higher grade. You have a higher percentage of getting a rare okay. skin or whatever. And so it created this atmosphere where people really wanted those skins, but they didn't want to work for it. Mm-hmm. So there was a website that was developed where it was literally like an exchange. Like you could just pay to get a really cool skin. Someone would just send it to you. You can also do it on Steam too. So Steam is the way that you were supposed to do it. Um, but then it, there was basically like a, a website that was developed that was doing the same thing, but took down all of the safeguard measures for doing it in a way that's like somewhat acceptable in my eyes. And it became just like the straight up like gambling exchange of not earning things and just getting them. And I mean, it's like you're talking about like having a pink, M16. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. 
the thing is too is like some of those skins is like there's only one of them in the game too so there's like that much more heightened mm. of like oh my gosh i have to have this you know skin um but it's also yeah they go for astronomical amounts of money like there's don't quote me on this because i don't know for sure but from what i remember that there's a couple out there that go for like twelve eleven hundred dollars isn't that crazy for a skin a little part of me died <laughs> well i think this just speaks to a greater uh conversation about just toxic gaming like this it really wouldn't get to that if there wasn't such a need for i need to be the best mm-hmm. uh, or this the stats and the ranks matter um if you're playing this just for fun yeah but if you turn this a lot more serious than it is um you know uh yeah i I just it's part of the toxicity of the gaming culture yeah so it almost says more about the fact that that happened and that it happened on the scale that it happened says more about the things that people are saying to each other in game and how they're because like you know the way that you treat people is gonna this is me being like a a rainbow and a snowflake but it's like the way that you treat people in a game it totally matters especially when you're in it you know you're in this community where the age range is all over the place and it's like these kids that you don't know what's going on with them maybe this is like or even for an adult that has a job like they come home they work all day they hate their job and they come home and they want to have fun and play this game that they get a sense of reward from because they perform well in it Mm-hmm. And then you come on and you play with them and you call them names and you do all this stuff and you just break them down and you're destroying their avenue for escapism that they've chosen to invest in. Yeah. Which like that's, su- I don't know. I just feel like the skins is like an extension of that same attitude taken to like such an extreme degree. And it says really terrible things about a lot of stuff but I, I don't know what do you guys think that there's some kind of responsibility for game developers to blockade certain behaviors so people are protected or is it like a thing where it's a community responsibility I'm going to bring it back to the money aspect of it all because honestly toxicity in gaming culture could be a whole topic podcast topic in and of itself but no I think I think they're always going to provide uh if there's any form, any way for them to make more money off of something, they're gonna take it. Uh, I haven't seen an example where they don't do that. Um, so it's like, oh, the customers put a lot of value on on these uh, weapon skin identifiers. So we're gonna just keep providing more and more expensive ones. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that's a sad thought, but I, I think that's just the capitalist society we live in, so. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, but we'll get to that in a different talk, <laughs> a different <laughs> podcast. Um, but, okay, let's – let me play devil's advocate here for a sec. Okay. All this post-game release, um, DLC, microtransactions, all that. I do think that the amount of work, the amount of production studios that, like, into these AAA games um, – and we're still, we're just paying 60 bucks a game. That's pretty much capped there for a while now. Like, the amount of investment money they're putting into these games. Unless it's VR, then it's 40 bucks. <laughs> they're not, 
you know, I think they, they need to try to find different ways to make money um, because the amount of investment money that's going in, I, I don't think, I think in a lot of cases they're not seeing the returns. And so what's happening is we get less and less big games because people just don't, they're, they're never gonna make their money back um, mm. with the scale that these games are growing. So they have to resort to money-making tactics. And I think that's just, this is something that gamers are gonna have to accept if they wanna keep playing large AAA scale games. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's morally right and wrong ways to do it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so an example of that, I think, what you're talking about would be Amiibo. Mm. Amiibo. It's a game add-on. Mm -hmm. It adds value to the game. You get a cool little figurine. You're collectible. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, there's some... I mean, I don't know. I think for things that I'm willing to support and that I want to see continue, I'll buy your gimmick, for lack of a better word. Or I'll <laughs> buy into, like, your... You know, you're playing on my fandom, but <laughs> I don't care, and I want it. And I will <laughs> buy it for $20. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. And I think we're we can like meet in the middle um, to kind of like, I don't know if you guys think about it this way, but sometimes I, whenever I hear about a new thing coming out from Nintendo or Bethesda or whatever, I'm thinking about um, supporting them almost mm -hmm. as like a partnership. So mm -hmm. like I'm putting money down and that is my investment in their future projects. That's my investment in uh, saying that I, you know, condone a specific project that they've put out or if they're doing these things that are, you know, kind of tangential to the actual games, I'll buy into it too because I want more of that. And if, if I can help them do more of that, I'll yeah. put my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. Um, and then, you know, we've been try talking about AAAs this whole time, but when it comes to indies, that's like a whole nother ball game. Um, when it comes to like micro transaction or DLC and other and that than that, an initial cost uh, for for the game, I can't. No, no examples coming to mind right away of like extra content. Like they pretty much they're like, what here it costs five ten bucks. So uh, an interesting example mm -hmm. of that is Minecraft. Mm -hmm. So as far as I know, across all platforms, it's pretty much the same deal. It's like the core game still now continues to have more features like oh there's another enemy oh there's another type of block and da 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 mm -hmm. so they continue to add to it it's kind of a little bit i don't know that it's really an indie game anymore so it's kind of more in the yeah. latter category but it you know, started it still has like heavy indie roots though well it's like would you say that's the success story like okay how do you get to the level that minecraft's at um mm -hmm. and make money off of it the way that minecraft does um just from having such a massive user base um yeah there was the paying for multiplayer server space in the mm -hmm. early days that's gone by the wayside but i think it's been replaced by the skins so you can have character skins you can have map skins where they remap every single block to fit a theme and then when they release it like you know nintendo had it on the switch when it originally launched it had a pre-built it's really freaking amazing i don't know if you've seen any of it but they it's like they had a skin that was Mario themed, but then they had built this entire world around like giant statues of Goombas <laughs> and Mario heads and all this stuff. Nice. It's so cool. And they had it set up in a way where you can kind of like um, explore it. 
So, you know, same game, but because it is kind of like a creative exploration adventure type thing, um, I don't know. I had no qualms about buying that, even though, you know, I kind of got my fill on Minecraft years ago. Yeah. It was still was cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's like the indie success story. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I- uh, Terraria is another one that does that where they really they continually release new content mm. to the gamer it, it doesn't cost anything but they're constantly expanding and like evolving the game how do they make money as far as i know it's like you buy the core aspect of the game and then they're just constantly adding on to that it's not it's not as big as minecraft is so they don't have like all this um it's still a very very popular game but as far as I know, there's not really any sort of, you know, skins. There's, I think, I, from what I know, there's mods and stuff like that that people have made. Like games like that will only, like, those money-making methods will only work if your game becomes extremely popular and your user, like, you're getting a lot of uh, money from this initial purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking yeah. of popularity. Mm-hmm. Shall we introduce fandom? Oh, yeah. Jesse's favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I briefly touched on this earlier with Breath of the Wild, but a lot of this, uh, like the continued DLC, keeps the hype running for a game, right? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't leave the news cycle, the gaming news cycle, right away. Um, so then you have more people to potentially purchase the initial game because other people are like, oh. You know, they continue to enjoy it, continue to say good things about it. Uh, and I think when it comes to uh, a game success, that fandom and the followings of certain game franchises affect affect the sales greatly. Almost every Nintendo IP probably has a good chunk of following. They're like, we're just waiting for that next Zelda game, that next Mario game, that next Kirby game, that next Metroid game. <laughs> um, that really... Okay, so the the game companies know. Okay, we're going to at least get our our core fan base buying this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's less risk involved, um, and I think sort of that's Nintendo's wheelhouse right there. But I think that's what a lot of the other AAA game companies try to do. Like your Assassin's Creed. Okay, they built that up large enough that they they spit those out so quickly because they knew they had a solid fan base. Um, little bit of backlash with that one but it's about keeping that fan base satisfied um meeting expectations uh and do you guys have anything to say about this well you're kind of the expert on it i was going to ask you about how that actually plays out in terms of like because i've never been to a dragon con or any kind of con conference (laughs) um and i don't I mean, I feel like you probably have the most contact of all the three of us in like terms of fan art or other stuff related to that. And like, how does how do you see that playing out um, in affecting the way that like, because, okay, so you love Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. And I assume you played it around when it came out or when it came out? When it came out. Okay, of course. <laughs> I never doubted you. Reversion. <laughs> okay. Parents stood in line. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, so you, yeah, you were already invested at that point in Zelda franchise. 
And then by the time Breath of the Wild rolls around, I would imagine you've probably spent some time in fandom world for Zelda. Mm-hmm. Did you did you see anything in that time span that I don't know interacting with fandom like fan art yeah. stuff like that that maybe impacted Breath of the Wild? Okay, we'll we'll run with the Zelda uh, franchise. So we talked in the last podcast about uh, Nintendo takes that extra development time they need to spit out a good game, right? I expect four to five years between each game, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. And one of the reasons I'm fine and okay with that, I don't get bored, and I still remain very hyped about the franchise as a whole, is because the fandom is there in those four to five years talking about that. Well, probably the first two to three years talking about making fan content, just keeping keeping it alive, the last game alive. And then you start getting the teasers for the next game one to two years before the next game. And so now it's all speculation and it's, you know, coming up with headcanons and such for the next game. So I think, I think if you can get yourself a, a fan following, it'll keep your franchise alive. It'll lower that risk. Um, you'll obviously have, a, you know, fans asking the company, like, please make this. So... Um, I, I think if you want to become, and this is this is speaking to the indies too, and this this happens with the indies too, and I think that's what helps make them successful. Uh, if you want to ever get to that AAA status, you sort you need that. Like no one's gonna invest if you have like a really cool game. Um, no one's gonna invest in that next one if you don't have people clamoring for it. Um, that's my thought. Grow yourself a fan base. Mm. Um, Another interesting scenario I have, uh, I don't know if any of you ever heard of Operation Rainfall. So what is that? <laughs> Operation Rainfall, a uh, very good exam, example of, of the power of the people. <laughs> it's, uh, there were three games that were released in Japan, Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, Pandora's Tower, and The Last Story. And at least I don't, know too much about the other two but at least with Xenoblade Chronicles it was um, well received in Japan and there was a pretty core group of people in the U.S. that were like we want this game why are you not releasing it in America Um, and so they basically created this campaign they called it Operation Rainfall and they they picked these three games to carry over to the U.S. they they wrote letters and they they (laughs) Uh, lots of letters. Uh, they, they basically. I think they even did um, like a, a pre-order campaign where they they like created an Amazon slot and like showed look how many people were pre-ordered. Like oh, if wow. you just bring it over here, um, and like salt on the wound, they were releasing it in Europe, <laughs> um, <laughs> Nintendo over in Europe. So it's like, why not just bring it over to the U.S. and I. I don't think, I think this is a deeper conversation about uh, Japanese versus Western JRPGs and mm. they didn't think it'd be as, as successful, you know, in the West. <laughs> um, but, and you know, they'll always, Nintendo always says like, oh no, that didn't really affect our decision to bring it over. But if you look at the timelines um, and the amount of support <laughs> that, that was put behind these games and it worked, they, they ended up releasing all three over in the US. Um, when they previously had no plans to. So uh, I think if, we're, if fans and gamers need to, 
and this is sort of what you were saying before, they need to show their support and they need to put their money where their mouths are. Um, they, that's the only way I think we're gonna continually get good quality games. I think it also, to your point, is like it raises the expectation a lot and like the bar for like what people want because there's such a huge uh, following for games or for franchises or whatever is like, but it's also kind of like a pressure thing too is like if it doesn't meet expectations, you know, for a particular game, it's not going to do, you know, so well and it'll kind of fly under the radar. Um, I'm curious to hear you know, thoughts so what's an um, example of that do you have one as as far as flying under the radar having a lot of hype or fandom behind a franchise and then it may be not doing so hot um for me personally i don't know if it had a lot of hype or not but um the deus ex mankind divided mm. i thought it was like and I guess, like, at its core, it's, like, there are things about it that is, like, good, but then there are things about it that aren't so great. And it kind of, like, it did not have the reception that it did of the human revolution. Um, and who know, who's to say that we'll get, like, another Deus Ex? I mean, I don't know what the sales numbers are um, for the game, but, like, for me, it was, like, I'll, I'll definitely think twice about going and purchasing another Deus Ex game. Yeah, same here. Hmm. I think there's something to be said about fandom kind of doing some of the legwork that marketing would traditionally do. It's like yes. you're showing for sure that people, especially in the case of Operation Rainfall, it's like this amount of people are already going to for sure invest in this game. Look at the demand. Like we're get, we're showing you the demand in a quantifiable way, laying it out right in front of you, mm -hmm. and then with mankind divided, it's so unfortunately it's very divided. Yeah, it's well, it's almost like unanimous disappointment because you're pledging your allegiance and then you're getting slapped in the face with like it's just overt bad business practice that's trying to milk your fandom. Mm -hmm. It's like we're here and we want to buy your game. Like, can you, it's, it's a thing of like being treated poorly by the developer, in my opinion, mm -hmm. in that case, because human revolution was insane. It was so good. Everybody was ready to buy the next one. Let's do this thing. Mm -hmm. And then before they even release it, it's all this like pre-order nonsense. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what is that? How is that a reward for us? You know, putting in our free time and effort and energy and showing you that we love the thing that you've made. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about what do you mean by the pre-order nonsense? Because I'm not, I don't follow. So before the game was even released, they had these different tiers of uh, pre-order right. that were all pri different price points. You'd get different packages, um, and they were just so insulting. It was like you could buy the core game, but you didn't really get the full game. And then if you go to the second tier, it was like you got some like freebie stuff. You you got like you know a, a gun early in the game, or you know like a piece of memorabilia or yeah. something like that. But you basically it was the way that it was designed. You had to spend I think it was like 120 bucks, maybe more than that, to actually get the game, which is like okay, that's I don't know, that's just not. I don't know. It felt insulting. That's yeah. a whole other story too of like different, like when 
pre-orders and stuff like come out for games that they have different tiers of game where you can buy the base like that gives you for the most part usually gives you the game but then there's all these other pre-order stuff that you can do to where you get either it's cosmetics or you get a new gun or um dlc just up front dlc up front mm-hmm. um which is like why isn't that already part of the game <laughs> yeah then you're like well this you already developed it it's not like you're <laughs> developing it after the game's already like mm. you're slicing <laughs> off stuff that you already made and then putting yeah. a price tag on it yeah 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 i it definitely if you have a following don't don't insult them don't take them for granted and i think that investment will be worth it like xenoblade can you even imagine if that didn't come over to america then putting shulk in that smash bros for a wii u I think that was pretty successful. They released X after that, Xenoblade X, followed up with, uh, he got his own amiibo. They got little amiibos. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have two of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and and now we have two, like straight, straight to US uh, for release. And I'd put money that they're gonna put that main character in the next Smash Bros game, but I feel like just by trusting, you know, that okay, we'll release it in the U.S. It was a it was a success, um, and and it's really paid off with the following games. They immediately released their other games and making money off those. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, trust trust us, <laughs> trust us, game companies, please. Um, so I think there's a corollary, maybe opposite side of the coin to the fandom stuff that also impacts developers. And I don't know that this is a universal thing. I think there are exceptions when there's you have your Zeldas and your Marios and things like that. They can get away with a lot more, obviously. Um, but I do even see it in those franchises a little bit where you're getting into a... Um, because there's such great expectation and attachment to what's been successful in the past, and that's where the love of the fandom comes from. Maybe there's like this, um, it's not a lack of creativity, but it's like a staying inside your box more or less. Like the mm-hmm. core stuff stays, and then we can add, you know, like for example, Mario Odyssey. Love that game, it's awesome. But it's literally Mario 64, and he can throw his hat and embody other enemies mm-hmm. and stuff, extra stuff. I mean, it is. It, like, it mm-hmm. controls yeah. exactly the same. I do love that about it because it feels familiar. And yes, I did buy it. And yes, if they come out with more DLC, I'll probably get it. But it is kind of a thing of where the fandom, maybe on some, some level, because it's like a heightened sense of expectation... Um, there might be some aspects of the franchise that get stale after a while. Like mm-hmm. some, for especially people our age that grew up on like Nintendo IPs and maybe some other things. It's like, okay, like yeah. I understand that a blue rupee is five. Yeah, I know that now. You don't need to have like a command prompt every single time I pick one up, Twilight Princess, that tells me exactly how much it costs on GameCube. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, it only tells you when you... Uh, shut down the game, then open it back up, and it'll tell you that first time. Okay. Yeah. That's still really annoying. <laughs> I hate that. Just like We're the batteries s- are dying. <laughs> that's some- that too. That's yeah. something. Kind of what you're saying is like, for me, it's I kind of take it 
to music and like albums and stuff like that that you get from artists is like a lot of times you get the same kind of like style or music with some exceptions to you know and there's always you know artists that kind of branch off into a different genre Mm -hmm. um but like for me um I personally I would like to see that happen more in games but I understand like the risks and like the pressures involved with like kind of if you were to make a sequel or something else or do something with a a pre-existing IP um, or franchise or whatever it's like you have to have a significant or at least it feels like you have to have a significant following of fans and that sort of stuff in order to take that risk of kind of making a different type of game with that kind of, with the sense of Mario is like, we have tennis Mario, we have racing Mario, we have, you know, mm-hmm. traditional platformer Mario, we have all these different Marios and that are kind of like, they're big games. They're like $60 games that you buy and I would kind of like to see that more with like other big IPs that that aren't, you know, necessarily Nintendo. Because mm, okay. Nintendo tends to do that. Yeah. Um, like, why can't we have like a Halo racing game? Yikes! I would not buy that. I know you wouldn't buy that, but there, I'm just saying, saying. I'm just saying that as an example. Sure. It's like, look, they already have this this fandom that likes Halo, right? And they're probably gonna buy stuff that's set in a Halo world. So why not try to make other games? I mean, they made like the Halo that. Wars thing, but um, oof. <laughs> yeah. It's just like I don't. But I mean, maybe that's an example of like that shouldn't be. I think I think it. Get, I guess it also kind of depends on the type of game that it is. Is it like if it's a franchise, it's more like a mature base and stuff like that. Playing like a more light type of genre may not go over so well. I think it just kind of depends, but. Gears of War is starting to do this now with like they're coming out with a mobile game or they have come out I don't know if it's out yet um that's more like a a strategy based more kid friendly type of game hmm. I want to see more of that kind of stuff see but the way that that's happening right now and I think it is happening a lot more than maybe I'm hearing you saying it is I mean, like Bethesda, they do this with like Fallout Shelter. There's the card game for Elder Scrolls that's apparently competitive and people like it. That's fine. Um, <laughs> that tone. Yeah. Um, and different iterations of that. I mean, they milk the ish out of their IPs. Mm-hmm. They do. And they, it's like takes the form of like Elder Scrolls Online. Like I could go on for quite a while with some examples of things that you're talking about, but I do like your thought about it being a translating over to a similar genre at least in some of the like main categories that makes the appeal for the mainline game interesting to that audience um and it i think it's kind of interesting that you envision or maybe that you describe other mario games like mario tennis mario kart and stuff as being mario games i don't think about them as being mario games i think about them as being like this is a kart racing game that has mario ip stuff riddled throughout it and it does influence some aspects of mechanics and it influences some aspects of like the way the maps are designed and all of that stuff. So it's not to just say that it's a skin. It's much deeper than that. 
but I think about a Mario game is like a mainline, you know, major title release. This is a Mario game. I know what I'm expecting, whatever. Same thing with Zelda. It's like, you know, there's two different tracks in that. There's like the top-down 2D Zelda. There's the 3D main title series deal. And it, at the end of the day, it's an action-adventure light RPG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, I'm more of, like, just putting the thought out there is, like, why can't we have a Mario racing game that, like, has, like, a story aspect to it that is kind of like that chronological thing of, like, a Mario game? Where Mario you start at one world and then, well, I know, but you, <laughs> you know what I mean. the princess. Um. <laughs> well, they kind of, so here's an interesting example. In Mario Rabbit's Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I can describe the plot to you in 60 seconds. It's not terribly interesting. It exists to have some kind of momentum that gets you somewhere and to make the, like, going from one world to another connect in You're some way. You're not playing that game for story. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that is kind of like a weird example because it's another one where it's Mario skinned, but it's not just skin deep. It's like it influences the way that characters behave and there's like special moves and stuff like that. But it's not a Mario game. And that's what I'm saying. And I feel like the envelope needs to be pushed to maybe you incorporate mechanics of a more like core Mario game into something of like a racing game or something like breath that breath of the wild see that's what i hear you saying in a way is because mm. like breath of the wild is in my opinion not a zelda game it is a zelda game in certain aspects and it borrows very you know liberally from zelda mechanics and things but like when i'm playing it i'm like this isn't a zelda game in a lot of like significant categories i'm like this is not a zelda game yeah this is a much bigger discussion yeah um but <laughs> i love zelda my favorite game series uh and you're right i didn't feel it felt different playing it i still had a lot of fun playing it but i felt a bit empty at the end because i didn't i feel like i didn't get what i wanted out of a zelda game i had fun playing it i logged so many hours it was a fun game to play but because it was a Zelda game, I expect something more. And that more for me in previous games, I've, I, the reason I pl- replay a lot of the older games is because I really like um, the story and the path they take. And, you know, you can say every Zelda game has almost the same story, right? Uh, Link goes and rescues Zelda, defeats Ganon. But every game does it differently you still have that like that similar structure of like the you know the boy grows as a hero um and zelda's role is always a little bit different skewed in every game but um it it's like they decided from the get-go okay we want to do a um a really open world do whatever you want um they're more focused on the mechanics of that open world and then they stuck in story after the fact, um, and that wasn't integral to the gameplay itself. Like, and I know a lot of people roll their eyes at Twilight Princess, like, oh, you can turn a wolf now, huh? But like, I love that your side quest. I don't mind, um, but like that aspect, that gameplay mechanic is tied. Like, you can't separate it from the plot. Um, your sidekick 
one of the best sidekicks in the Zelda series, tied to the plot. Um, mm-hmm. And like you're, yeah. I, but in Breath of the Wild, the plot was very separated from what you can do in the game. Um, so yeah, like for me, most of that game, I was just like, I can't wait to see the next memory because to me that was like that shred of plot I was getting. Um, but it was like only during those moments that I felt like, oh yes, that's what I'm going for. But once I got all of them, I'm like, I had this like, oh, I, what's the point of me going to the castle? Okay, maybe there's a cutscene afterwards. <laughs> but um, because you are so alone in that game, and you're supposed to feel like that's in the in the story they created. That's how you're supposed to feel. But um, I felt like that as a player. Um, I'm like, what's my motivation? <laughs> yeah so so what if you were to flip it on its head and it was a open world like it was but it had more elements of the story like you're saying i i think would that categorize it as like a more of a zelda game i think that's a tenet of a zelda game is that it's open world uh, on the fandom would disagree with you on that one why um that's a big debate in the fandom of like all the other zelda games are very linear yeah but those are an overworld you have but there's to do an overworld some... versus an open world. What's the difference? Um, open world is like you can go anywhere, do anything, and it like it doesn't. You don't have to literally follow step by step by step to get to the end. Oh, gotcha. So you can un- yeah, you can do it. In like any I order. couldn't skip to the snowy peaks in Twilight Princess mm-hmm. from right when I exited Ordon. I had to go. It required me to go through certain dungeons to get certain tools to be able to do that. And there's only one gotcha. route to get to it. There's not all these other routes that you can take to get to it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But gotcha. I didn't mind, and I still don't mind, because I felt like it was part of a grander story. Where here, they're like, go wherever you want, because story doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like extra, um, and I don't want it to be extra. But I do think... Maybe because, okay, we want to try to expand Zelda. This is what I think they're thinking. We want to try to expand Zelda. We want to make mm-hmm. it grander, bigger, which I'm totally for. That's great. But I think they were so focused on that and making that work. Um, side note, they brought in some of the people that helped make Xenoblade because they're such experts at large open worlds. Onto the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I think, I'm hoping, my hope is that the next game they put out because maybe they have more of a grasp on how to do that, uh, they can try to integrate, okay, how can we integrate a story more into it? That could be what it was, is like, being that it was like a big leap from previous games in the series, is like they wanna make sure that there there is story there, but a bigger aspect is making, you know, the world and what you're doing and stuff like that feel really good. And then the next iteration, because they have that locked down, they can fully flesh out the story and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but yeah. they've invested in their their fans right they still delivered a quality game even if it's not exactly what i wanted from a zelda game that's why i'll still buy their next game <laughs> so. yeah totally agreed so anyway next time just don't have mechanics supersede story and everyone will be happy yeah but that's that's a but just other people would disagree bigger, with you that's such a big conversation in our community yeah like i think all of us value story a lot more than some people do so but no this is like this is good this is cool it's like you know what we've talked about you know these all have you know big implications and impacts on how games get marketed how games get um spread around and how we buy 
you know, our games and stuff like that. It's a constantly like evolving and expanding, you know, process as like technology evolves, you know, our culture and society, you know, grows and whatnot. Um, there's, you know, good and bad that, you know, comes from all that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting. I didn't know that about you, George, that, um, the DLC was such a principled thing for you. And I think that's really interesting. I think I might, um, you know, consider that more in my, how I can, you know, when I'm thinking about, oh, am I going to buy this? Am I going to buy that? Where am I going to invest my money? Who's making this? Are they trying to cash grab me? And I'm just shamelessly saying, oh, I'll do whatever you want. If I'm all in in a game, I'm all in in a game. But if it's like, it takes me, pretty far to get there mm. it's like well you know things like you don't need to pre-order that dlc right away play your game first see how you feel about it and then you don't need to you know uh, buy the dlc right away when it comes out look f- at reviewers you know watch some let's plays see how that dlc plays out mm. keep an eye out because robert is going to use his mad writing skills to do an interesting write-up with more of his take on this topic and if you take anything from this is uh, invest in, in good games and maybe the game companies will invest in us. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.